With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Shout to this world all alone. Gotta take your soul. You're on your own. The crow flies straight. Perfect line. Welcome to Weigh-In Sports Talk. Today is Sunday, September 15th. Before we get started, here are a few reminders. We would love to hear from you, and here are several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716-5564, or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino, or follow us on Twitter at Weigh-In Sports. Now here's your host, Brian Tarvin, and co-host Trey Patterson. Let's weigh in. Wow, thank you, Michelle, and, and uh, she was a little distracted tonight. She had a little eight-pound terrorist running around barking, but great job, Michelle, keeping it together. Um, great show in store tonight for everybody. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Week three of college football is in the books, and we have a lot to discuss about that. Week two in the NFL, very exciting, a lot of great games going on. A lot of news in the NFL Adrian Peterson, we're going to talk about his suspension today from the game he was scheduled to play in due to alleged child abuse. Talk about, we're not going to get into detail too much of Ray Rice and Greg Hardy, which also missed another game today, but we will touch on that. Uh, CBS, the National Recruiting Director of CBS 247 Sports, will be on at 9.15 Eastern tonight to, to talk some college football. So, here we are, and on this show the other night, I have to give myself and Trey, the co-host, some, some credit. The analysis on this game, Trey knocked it out of the park. And, and one thing I did say on this show, we were going to have a couple of big upsets and, and exactly what did we get, two top, team, top ten teams, excuse me, out of the top ten polls. Southern Cal loses on the road to Boston College. And not only that, Georgia loses on the road at South Carolina. So all of these so-called experts that had Georgia in the Final Four after week one, go back to the drawing boards, find another team to jump on because you were wrong again with Georgia. We were right. We we knew Georgia for what they are. They're a fraud. And, and, and not only that, I mean, you, I'd give Georgia credit once I saw it on the field, but just because South Carolina loses one game the first game of the season at home, they, they lose, they look terrible, and Georgia beats a bad Clemson team, doesn't mean that Georgia's just going to go into South Carolina and beat them. And that's what everyone assumed. And that's why you don't assume in college football. You have to know rivalries. You have to know head coaches. You have to know histories. You have to know injury reports. You have to know quarterbacks. I mean, all that we're going to discuss tonight. But it was a great weekend of college football. And Trey, you know, picking 10 games this past week was tough, but, but Trey picked 10 games that, that tripped up a lot of people. This is probably one of the worst weeks overall in picking from our 
from from our department here, from our group, we in sports, we had a lot of people four and six, five and five in college, and wow, I thought I would honestly go ten and zero this week, and I went seven and three, which seventy percent is not bad, but but Trey did an outstanding job of of tripping everyone up. If you'd like to call in tonight, six four six seven one six five five six four. Trey will join us in a few minutes. He'll be hit or miss for a little while. Again, J.C. Sherbert's going to come in at 9.15 Eastern, blow us away with some college football talk. I'm excited to have him back on. I believe that this is his third, maybe fourth time on our show. Glad he's taking time out of his busy schedule during college football season to join us. We're really thankful of that. So let's start out the news that happened. I believe it was Friday. Reports came out that Adrian Peterson, there was a warrant issued for his arrest to to turn himself in for child abuse of his four-year-old son. And, and, and you know, you, people have a lot of opinions about this. And, and I just want to start out saying as a kid – you know, I was I was disciplined. My parents they weren't afraid of a hickory, a belt, whatever discipline they needed to get my attention. I'm a big proponent of that. I believe in discipline, but I also don't remember and recall being four years old and ever getting spanked to the point where I had whelps on me a week later and and actually open sores. And I actually called my mother and I said, Hey, I know you you probably had to spank me a lot as a kid, but when I was four years old, did you ever, you know, have to spank me or hurt me? And she said, no. And my, and my mom's a disciplinarian, so is my dad. So let's let's don't make any bones about it here. They they will whip you, and, and they enjoy it, I think. I think they enjoyed spanking me a lot, but, but never at four years old. So a lot of people are talking about this, saying, hey, it's this kid. There's, it's no big deal. But, you know, a four-year-old kid, what can you really get through to them at four in the form of discipline like that. I'm very upset at some of the responses that I've seen out there. And I know kids this generation, they're not being disciplined properly. They're brats. They're they're not showing any respect. But you have to learn to get the respect and, and teach discipline without abusing. It's a fine line. And, and I believe Adrian Peterson realized that. I'm not saying Adrian Peterson is a bad guy, but I think he crossed the line. And I think once this happened, he realized he crossed the line. But do I think Adrian Peterson deserves to be behind bars for two years? And that's what this sentence comes with if he's found guilty in a court of law. And I I just don't know. I mean, there's there's so many missing pieces of this story. And if you'd like to weigh in, 646-716-5564, join us in the chat room, ask your questions there, give us your comments. But... You know, a four-year-old kid is, is small. They they don't understand everything. And, and honestly, I, I believe they don't really understand why they're getting spanked. But the marks, the, the pictures I saw, a week old pictures at that were, were very bad. And the NFL is, is under a lot of bad light right now. You have the domestic disputes going on. You have Ray Rice punching his wife out in an elevator, spitting in her face. You have Greg Hardy threatening to kill his girlfriend or wife. I'm not sure which one, but a 911 call kind of revealed that he was doing some damage to her. And then also another guy at San Francisco. All of a sudden, all the the NFL is under scrutiny, and I'm just interested to see 
what Roger Goodell does. Is the NFL a reactive league? I mean, it seems like they react to everything and they don't think it through. But Ray Rice was one of them that that it seems like something was covered up. But let's let's get back to Adrian Peterson real quick. He missed the game today, turned itself into authorities, and uh, Big E is on the line right now, and I'm, I'm about to bring him on. And Big E, what we're talking about is Adrian Peterson, and I know you want to get in and talk about this. I mean, I want to know your thoughts, Big E, on, you know, what do you think about Adrian Peterson? Did he go too far on a four-year-old child? Jamal? Yes, you're off. Oh, okay. And now, Adrian Peterson, stuff? man, give me, give me, give me your thoughts on Adrian Peterson. I mean, a four-year-old. Uh, I don't know if you got to see the pictures or not. No, I didn't see any. I didn't see any of it. So I mean, I, I didn't. That's the first I've heard exactly how old the child was. But uh, why? What the what the pictures look like? Just out of curiosity. Well, they were. They were strong, Martin. Remember, these are, they say, a week old. They were like a hickory. You know, I'm sure you've been spanked with a hickory like I have that left, you know, whelps on his leg. And, and after a week, there were some open sores on it. And AP himself even admitted that he took it a little overboard. But now this guy has a chance to be put in jail for two years for disciplining his son, Ian. I just I just want your thoughts on this. Remember, the kid is four. When it first came out, I think they said eleven year old, but he he was a four year old. Well, children need to be disciplined as long as they're not being beaten. I mean, in my opinion, as long as they're not being their life's not in danger. You know, I mean, it'd be different if he's beating them with an electrical cord or you know a two before or a baseball bat or you know something like that. I got my tail tore up. You know. Uh, I look back at the times I got whipping, spankings, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, you know, the, the times I got them, I deserved them. I did something I, something I did, I did to deserve it. And it gave me character and it taught me discipline. And, you know, I, I don't have a problem with somebody, you know, whipping their child with a hickory or whatever, as long as they're not endangering the kid's life. You know, I, I think I think there needs to be more discipline. We've got kids running around with no sense of discipline, and you know, I, I just yeah, I, I think that's I think that's the number one thing that's wrong with with most teenagers and uh, young adults now is they didn't have any discipline growing up. Uh, my well, parents. Well, when when me, is the age? Well, what what age is it though? I mean, there's a fine line. I mean, at four, do you think a kid understands? and is capable of taking a beating like that. I mean, do, do you think they get it once they get a spanking? Well, it, was it a here, – here's here's what you have to decide. Was it a beating or was it a whipping, you know? A two-year-old kid knows the difference between no, but a two-year-old will push you. Uh, I mean, I've raised three boys. Uh, you know, I, I, I had two brothers and a sister, and I know all of us would push the word, you know, we would push until we couldn't push anymore. A two-year-old kid knows the difference between yes and no. You know, I mean, yeah, it, it, it all depends on it all depends on what your idea of, you know, what your idea of uh, uh, of a, a whipping or a beating is. Now, I will say this: you know, when my kids were four, it was a swat with a hand. You know, but you know, at eight, that's different. 
So, you know, I don't know how – you know, you, you can take a switch or a hickory or whatever you want to call it with a four-year-old and, and, you know, swat him across the legs. It's going to leave a welt. You know, there, there's nothing there's nothing you can do if you – in order to, you know, strike that child with that, it's going to have to leave a welt to do any good. Now – Well, Everett, Everett, stay right there real quick. We want your comments still. Sonia, you're on. I'm sure you have a, a strong opinion about this. Welcome to the show. Hope you and Jason are doing well. Hey, sweetie. Hi. Hi, Trey. How are you? Hey, Trey. Hey, Tom. <coughs> that's, a, yeah. that's Everett. I'm sorry? That, that's Everett on the line. Trey, oh, Trey hey, will be here in a little while. Oh, okay. Hey, Everett. How you doing, sweetie? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. This is my opinion on AP, and Tarvin, you've seen my post about it, because when it first hit, you know, I was all over Facebook. This is the thing people need to realize. First of all, we don't know the situation. We don't know if the four-year-old had a knife. We don't know if the four-year-old was cussing his daddy out, if he's a little spoiled brat and was acting a fool, if this was the fifth, sixth time that AP had to deal with the situation. We don't know anything yet. The fact that he is four and that he had to whip him is, should not be a shock to anyone. If you grew up, especially in the southern community and especially in the black community, you know what a switch is. You had to go out there and pick it yourself because if you didn't pick the right one, they would go out and pick up a branch, okay? So we are used <laughs> to corporal punishment. The thing is, and this is where what's really getting sad about our society today, so many parents who don't, use corporal punishment, want to act like any parent that uses corporal punishment is an abuser. No, it is not. There's a difference between a spanking and a whipping versus corporal, I mean, versus abuse, like physical abuse. When I look at the marks on his child when I saw the pics, sorry, I've seen worse on my sister. You know, rest in peace. I've seen worse on her. I've seen worse on even my friends. We were all kind of doing like a throwback pic of, Man, I remember when I got this whooping and I got this and I got that. So it's not that, you know, far out. But what people need to understand, until you learn all the facts, until you know what the situation is, and the fact that he owned up, yeah, I might have went a little little overboard. He did say that and he admitted that, okay? That's one part. But the other side you need to look at, too, this is coming from an ex-wife. And I'm not saying that she did this on purpose because she's a mother, and if you see marks on your child, you're always going to be concerned. But I want to remind, especially people who live in the Atlanta area, remind people of a case not too long ago, and I believe it was last year in Tarvin. I don't know if if you recall this because I think Jason did, but I'm not sure if you do. But there was a lady who did the exact same thing, except the husband was a police officer. It was her ex-husband. He disciplined the child. She thought he went overboard you know, whole thing, he gets suspended from his job, gets arrested, gets indicted, the whole nine yards, all right? Turns out, and this is how it came about, how the real story, the true story broke, the marks that she was accusing the husband of giving him, giving the child, they were trying, he had been with the cousins earlier, so just say the father, the son, and, and a few of his cousins were around. They had been wrestling and playing around earlier that day. The father spanked him that evening. Okay, one of the kids, it happened to come on the news because they were trying to keep it from the kids. But one of the kids saw it on the news, and he pointed to one of the pics, and he was like, Nah, Daddy, he got that when he fell off the bunk bed. So that began to open up, and, you know, people started seeing, wait a minute, maybe this is not what we think. So the bottom line was, 
after they got another doctor, you know, because they were using that one doctor that's, oh, yeah, this is abuse, blah, blah, blah. After they got another doctor, he was able to show, okay, this bruise couldn't have happened when this, 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 this welt mark did. And they disproved the whole case. She ended up being charged with um, lying to police and filing a police report, filing a false police report. What all, all I'm trying to say is, people, before you make snap judgments about a man that you were just giving big props to and that you were loving to death 48 hours ago, wait. You don't know what the real deal is. We don't know what the deal is. We don't know what happened. We don't know what context the whipping hip happened in. All of that comes out later. So I just say reserve judgment until we get those. Now, Tarvin, when did, this, when, when, when did this come out? When, when did this come out? When, when did he actually do this to the child, allegedly? The story, uh, the, the story broke in the mainstream media on Friday. This happened like a month ago. Because when it first, it was first uh, mentioned when he first got arrested or when he was first charged. The only reason it hit Friday is because of the fact that he was indicted, which means, you know, they find prob- probable cause. It doesn't mean he's guilty. It just means they find probable cause to take it further. Now, this is the other part I want to bring up before I just hand it back to you because I know I've got a, few time, a short minute. Ray Rice's wife, all right, Janae Rice, decided to jump in on this. And I posted this on my wall. Uh, if, you've, if you're on my Twitter page, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm Queen Bammer, but I also retweeted it. His wife, actually had the nerve to make a post on Twitter, and she says, and I'm quoting here, is my husband still the worst person in the world, question mark? There were no marks on my face. Adrian Peterson, AP, hashtag them both. Now, my response to that is how dumb and stupid can you be? This is not a competition, okay? It's not like he's worse or you're worse. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's like, don't make this a competition like AP's worse for beating his child and you're mad at my husband for beating me. Do you know how dumb that sounds? That's number one. But the fact that you are a willing participant, and and I've actually tweeted back to her. If anybody wants to see, just go to Twitter. I tweeted back to her, and I'm hoping she responds so I can remind her the tape shows that you hit him first, okay? So you guys have a dysfunctional relationship. Where, where you're fine with hitting on each other. That's you. This is a father disciplining his child, which we don't know the circumstances. There's no videotape there. So this is told, this is on, we're to, apples and oranges, sweetie, but the fact that you even go there lets me know something is wrong with you. I know you're a victim of abuse, and I don't know if all those knocks upside your head has knocked out the, the common sense brains, but it incensed me to see this tweet when we're talking about a child versus an adult. There's no competition. There's no, you know what I'm saying? So I just had to throw that in for the people who didn't know. Just stand back. Let the facts come out before you make a snap judgment. Well, thank you very much, Sonia. Great info. And, and I'll come back to you. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Give us your thoughts on Adrian Peterson. I'm sure you have have a few opinions on this. Yeah. Um, first, I want to thank you know. Um, it's, I'm sorry I haven't been able to get a hold of you guys the past couple weeks. Worse, it's been hectic once you get a promotion. But um, you know, this whole Adrian Peterson thing. I've been trying to explain this to people. It's not that he spanked his child. Okay, it's the fact that they had to go to the doctor, and the doctor like, these are open wounds. This is bad. This is really bad, and it's it definitely understandable. Um, if you're saying you're disciplining your child and, and you spank him, okay? But when you leave cuts and bulges on a kid, 
and you actually hurt him, that's when I have a problem with it, you know. It's absolutely ridiculous that yeah, people are trying to defend Agent Peterson here. You can't hurt, you can't literally hurt your child and be all caught up. That, that just ain't right. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of opinions on that. And Everett, you know, was on the line, Jonathan, and he's talking about when he was a kid, you know, he got a lot of spankings, built character. I got a lot of spankings when I was a kid, but I, I asked my mom, Jonathan, I said, you know, when I was four, did you ever have to hit me like that? And she said, gosh, no. I mean, I waited till you were, you know, old enough to understand and, and everything. And, again, we don't know all the facts about everything either, just like Sonia said, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a lot to this story that we may be missing and we don't even know about. Yeah, 100% correct. I mean, you know, my my daddy came with the philosophy of, you know, he, he's going to look behind if he screwed up. And there were a couple times my dad took me out to the woodshed and, I thought I wasn't coming back in, kind of a thing, you know. And <laughs> I mean, I remember, I remember in eighth grade going to school, messed up, busted nose, and everything in between. People were like, well, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I messed up." I mean, my dad took care of it. I messed up. Somebody's got to instill discipline. And I just, I, I still need to see more. I still need to hear more. I still need to understand it. But I'm just looking at like the kid is four. I mean, the, his son is four years old. And to read the cuts and all that, I mean, you know, from from what, from what I've heard, he went from the belt to the switch. And it's like, was the belt not doing the job? I mean, come on, Adrian. I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to look at this whole situation. I know, you know, I've got to know Adrian Peterson as a human being off the football field. I got to meet him because his father's from Key West, and you all know I lived down there for, for a little bit. And I'm just saying, like, I hear this and I go, it surprised me, but it doesn't because I know Adrian Peterson, the one who walks out on bar tabs and the one who, do, you know, does, doesn't, you know, pay when he goes on like charter fish and things like that, just runs out on the tabs. So, it, you know, it just doesn't surprise me anymore what a, whenever I hear Adrian did something. I mean, it really doesn't. I heard this and I just kind of went, oh, okay. Like, I'm not stunned by this revelation. Hey, Jonathan, Sonia wants to come back on real quick and get one thing before we move off AP. Go ahead, Sonia. Okay, I just want to give, give Jonathan um, uh, props for his, his comments, and I totally understand him, and I respect where he's coming from, but I do have to put this in, and I do have to say this. What people don't understand, especially people who don't have kids, okay, you might have been a kid, but when you have a kid, it's different. Amen. Unless you're one of those abusive parents who love, you know, the, the real abusive parents who actually just beat their kids for enjoyment. When you have to spank your child, that hurts. It hurts. I'm telling you, it hurts so much. So if most parents, when they are angry at their child, they will not spank them because they know they can hit them too hard. All right? That's, mm-hmm. So that's one thing I do want to bring up. My mom, my grandma, everybody that I know, their parents were the same way. They would say, I'm not going to spank you right now because I would hurt you. You know, it's like, let me take a time out. I owe you a spanking, basically, is what they have. The other point I want to bring up, too, is when people talk about the wounds and the cuts, show me in this, on this planet, in this universe, one child who stands still for a spanking, all right? Mm. How is being spanked? And this is where other bruises happen. And I, am ex- I posted this on Facebook last night, and somebody tried to come back and say, well, I can't believe that. I had to come out and say, no, I'll give you two examples. My mom was spanking my brother once with a belt, okay? He moved, the buckle hit him in the scrotum, and it, it hurt. 
You know, he had some pain down there and some bruising, but that was an accident. Another time, she was spanking my brother. My brother at that time was kind of out of control. But anyway, she was spanking him. We, I was in the den, okay? The belt flew out of her hand. The buckle hit me in the eye. So I had like a black eye, and I hadn't done anything. But those things can happen, and this is what I tell people. You can't always believe, like when somebody, I hate this whole everybody's trying to get, I totally understand protecting kids. I am the number one person. I'm always about protecting kids. Kids being abused, the parents should be just thrown into the jail. They should get the same punishment that they tried to to give to that child. Totally get it. Mm -hmm. But there are also innocent parents who may have been spanking their child, and that child's a squirmer. So when they're aiming for the butt, when the child is squirming, they hit the legs, you mm-hmm. know, or they hit this part or they hit that part. Again, we don't know what the deal is. We don't know what the child did to, to provoke this. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm saying just everybody needs to calm down. Now, as far as the other Adrian Peterson that you've heard about, <clears throat> personally, I have not heard any of those stories, but I haven't been looking for those either. The Adrian Peterson I know is one who mans up. Yeah, he's got his kids, but he takes care of them. He's always doing charity events, always doing stuff that he doesn't even want credit for. You know what I'm saying? That's the Adrian I know, so that's why the fact that he he manned up, like when the, the uh, ex-wife took the kid to the doctor, and when she was picking him up and he said, hey, I gave him a spanking, but I may have went overboard. You know, you might want to check because he was moving around. You know, he basically said right then and there, I may have gone overboard. Now, what mm-hmm. caused him to do that, we don't know. But, again, I'm just saying people need mm-hmm. to back up, let facts come out, not rumors, not assumptions. And people also need to stop basing their, their experience, whether they have children or not, just because your child is good and is mannerable and can learn by having uh, time out or having privileges taken away. There are other kids out there, sorry, they need their butts beat. Mm-hmm. They don't get it. And that's the problem. You have to understand the consequence. And the ultimate consequence is getting your butt That's what you try to do. You try not to do anything to get that whooping. And if you mm-hmm. do, then you deserved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's all well, I'm saying. Thanks for that, Sonia. And Trey, Trey's back on with us. Trey, your, your opinions real quick on AC before we move to college football. And then JC, our guest, coming on in 15 minutes. Hey, buddy. Uh, hey, everybody. First, first off. I do want to just say a couple of things, uh, Sonia. You know, you know, I, re- I respect you, but uh, come on, the kid had a knife. <laughs> we do know, we do know that he did not have a knife. That was that was testimony. In fact, two hours of testimony, Major and Peterson, the, the attorney has released some statements. That's not been already out there. We know that that wasn't the fact. Um, but Sarvin, I think uh, when you when you talk about this and, and you talk about the legality of uh, corporal punishment. There's certainly no um, nothing wrong, at least in my book, and I think the law's book, with spanking. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of people are getting caught up with, with you know, oh, well, this is corporal punishment. Well, just because it started as corporal punishment, or because that was the, you know, starting of it, doesn't necessarily make it non-abusive. And I don't buy into the argument of the kid provoked it, because that's the same kind of logic that people use to defend Ray Rice. They said, well, she provoked it. So she can get punched in the face. Well, no. A kid can provoke a lot of things at four years old, at two years old, and not deserve a grown man who is 296 pounds and rehabbed his knee in, what, six months to take out his full brunt and his full force on a four-year-old child. 
Uh, we don't know what his force was, but we know it was too much. We know we know that it was too much. Uh, Tarvin, you and I talked off air. I got spanked growing up. I never had cuts and bruises. Um, you know, they always made sure it was more about the effect and more about the, the correction versus the will of the parent saying how strong I am and how much damage I can do to you. That's not what it was about. That's not what corporal punishment is supposed to be about. And so I have no, no issues with Adrian Peterson uh, if he wants to discipline his child that way or anyone wants to discipline their child that way. I think me and the law uh, have a problem when you go too far and cause injury to your child, and that's the definition of that's the definition of child abuse is injuring your child, whether it's unintentional or intentional. Yeah, I, I think Sonya's thing about the knife would have was I think she was just saying we don't know what what was going on. She didn't actually say that that he had a knife. I just want to throw that I'm out. I'm giving there. her a hard time because <laughs> she was saying don't speculate, oh, and then she was like maybe he had a knife. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> So there's a lot, lot to be left to be said and, and the information coming out about this. But this is my opinion, though. Just my opinion, a four-year-old, I, I just yeah. don't think they understand what it means. I mean, I, I think it could do some psychological damage if you go overboard with a kid that age. Now, when you're 12, 11, 12 years old, you oh, yeah, can be a little brat. And you, can, you can understand and take a little bit more of the punishment, but... Somebody mm-hmm. does have to protect kids out there. I mean, for the for the small number of people that actually do abuse their children, somebody has to at least be able to be there to protect them. So I want to throw that out there. Man, we had a crazy day of college football yesterday. And uh, Trey, Georgia Bulldogs. Jonathan, I'm going to mute you just for a second. Check your line real quick. And maybe Trey, I'm just trying to check. But the Georgia Bulldogs go down, Trey. To South Carolina, man. It was a big day in college football, two upsets. But this one kind of made me feel good, picking South Carolina to beat Georgia. Give us your thoughts on that real quick. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, something you called a couple weeks ago, so I'll give you kudos. I heard, you know, uh, you absolutely called and nailed this. And as soon as South Carolina sort of was off the field of the loss, you're like, they're still going to beat Georgia two weeks from now. Um, and, you know, a lot of people hype this game. You know, you have – uh, when especially when there's a week like this, Tarvin, you have a lot of people overhyping or buying into hype they shouldn't when there's not a lot going on. Uh, so a lot of people were buying in. You know, the Georgia, de- you know, this is their destiny. You know, all they needed was a defensive coordinator and Mark Pruitt. Um, well, it turns out, Tarvin, I mean, the defense really was the issue in this game. I mean, you really can't argue with Mike Bobo and they're putting up over 30 points against South Carolina on the road. I mean, that's supposed to get you a win. Uh, but the defense really didn't hold. I mean, they were getting gashed at times with a running attack, and I was surprised uh, that Jeremy Pruitt didn't make more uh, changes in the second half. Uh, I, I saw uh, sort of mistakes they made in the first half sort of be the mistakes they made in the second half. And, Jonathan, I'll, I'll, you know, Pruitt's a good defensive coordinator, no doubt about it, but if you don't have the horses to play in the secondary, once you start playing teams that can exploit that weakness, there's only so much Jeremy Pruitt can do. Agree? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and, yeah, this is the kind of – I picked South Carolina to win this game before the season started just from the standpoint of it's hard to go into South Carolina and win. Um, Georgia hadn't scored more than 20 points in, you know, Columbia since I think – what was it, like 1996 or something? It was unreal how far back it's been. So it, it was a great game that we all had to wait for, and it was well worth the wait. It really was. Yeah, and I'm excited, but I, I see a lot of people out there blaming Bobo for that, you know, not running Gurley. Well, in, when you get down inside the five with, with a short time left, SEC teams 
like South Carolina, they're going to be able to stop Gurley within the five. I mean, they can make up their mind and do that, Trey. I don't think it was his fault. I think they made the right decision in what they were trying to do, but throwing the ball into the ground, the intentional grounding is what killed them uh, right there. Yeah. And the kicker, once, once, once he misses a kick, he's done sometimes mentally, and Georgia's kicker was done. So who are you blaming for this? Are you blaming Bobo, Rick, the defense? What are you blaming? Well, Robert, I think it's – and I'm going to step off here for a second. I think, I, I think to me it was the defensive failure. I think I saw some blame that, that maybe Pruitt didn't call some, some, you know, I guess change some scheme up a little bit to sort of get that aggressive rushing attack. Some of it's on the defensive line, Tarvin. They got manhandled, and you really can't coach somebody getting – beat off the ball, and that's what really happened. And uh, I'll be back in a second. Yeah, and and to me, South Carolina, Jonathan, that was a team. And, and like I said, after one week, you can't put a team in the playoff and say, okay, we have a Heisman Trophy winner in Gurley and Georgia's going to the national championship. South Carolina, to me, the first game, they were out-schemed, out-flanked, everything. They were out-prepared, and, and it looks like, you know, even though they have the weakness, it was a bad matchup against A&M. And for two weeks, they've had to sit around and hear how bad they were, how they're going to lose to Georgia. And and they came to play. You have to give Steve Spurrier credit for having his team ready to play. I mean, they faced some adversity in this game. And I like the way they responded every time Georgia punched them. They kept punching back. Definitely agree. And you got to give a real real credit to South Carolina. Um, you know, this is Spurrier because he's the offensive-minded coach he is. So in the offense, they were very successful throwing the football. Uh, you know, they weren't really able to really run the ball too much in the first half. In the second half, they wore them down. And those last three drives, they just pound the rock down the field. It was amazing how they were able to make those adjustments on the fly. And Pruitt did not adjust. He, he did not. He didn't stack the box trying to stop the line. He, he didn't. Um, and you're right. I mean, the kicker, once he missed that the first one, you're kind of like, okay, you know, he's made 20 in a row. You know, it happened. That second field goal literally went around the upright. If you look at it, you know, from, from behind. Yeah. Um, I mean, mentally, he just looked dead. After he missed that kick, it was just like he was no longer there. Um, that offense for Georgia had a great game. One intentional grounding penalty killed him. It really did. I agree with trying that. That intentional grounding penalty killed him. It killed the whole momentum. And you're right. In the SEC, when you get inside the four, it's hard to just pound the rock into the end zone. It's not going to be easy, okay? Teams are going to stack at that point. They can stack. Once you get inside the 20, it's a lot harder to score when you're playing good defenses because your corners can play man-to-man press, and your linebackers know that they can gear for the run. That's exactly what South Carolina's defense showed. So Mike Bobo made the right call. You know, Mason just made the wrong play. That's all it was at the yep. end of the day. I mean, hats off to Georgia for playing their hearts out, and I have a feeling that, and these are going to be two teams that are going to be, are going to be great to watch from here on out. Uh, it's going to be real interesting to see who wins the SEC East now because South Carolina has a tiebreaker, but both these teams still have a brutal schedule ahead. Well, never so much early in a season like this. We're in week three, and South Carolina could have been eliminated. There have been three games back as they lost to Georgia. They, it was a must win. I don't think people start thinking about everything involved when you're picking a game like this, but – hey, Georgia wins the rest of their games and wins the SEC, guess what? They're in that playoff. So the season's not over, and, and that's a good thing if you're a Georgia fan out there. But now you've you got to expose for something that Clemson just couldn't do in the second half. 
I don't know how you're going to get much better. It's a it's manpower, really, and I, I worry about Georgia being injury-prone. And Hudson Mason, he played well. But, again, South Carolina's secondary is a big, big weakness. I'm just interested to see how Hudson Mason performs against teams like Florida that can lock up man-to-man with you, how they're going to perform against Auburn. Auburn doesn't have a great defense, but they can get some pressure sometimes and cause some problems. But, Georgia, you're not out of it yet. But Georgia fans, quit crying that you got cheated in South Carolina. Come on now. But another game I want to turn to real quick before J.C. comes on, Arkansas went to Texas Tech. And, you know, that game was a pick Vegas said it was a pick We watched for two weeks. Arkansas run the ball very well. They they did show signs of improvement. They went into Lubbock, Jonathan. I don't know if that surprised you, but they blew the doors off Texas Tech, and that physical running game just wore Texas Tech out in the second half. Well, I will admit that I picked Tech. Uh, that was a team I was uh, I definitely was leaning towards, and I had more to do with the fact the game was in Lubbock. Um, I thought the home crowd would be able to energize and get into it. I know how Arkansas can play on the road. I was thoroughly disappointed in what I saw from Texas Tech's defensive staff. That was the worst <laughs> coach performance I think I've ever seen by a defensive staff. That was pathetic. They're running the ball down your throat every play. So you put seven, you leave seven guys in the box. You don't even try. You don't even bother uh, bringing the safety up. That was that, that, or even just swung enough to put in the linebacker. It was a joke watching that. Arkansas is definitely a much-improved team. They can run the ball with the best of them. That was a great, great offensive performance by Arkansas. Thoroughly impressed. Much better than the team we saw last year. Yeah, definitely. Trey, Trey is back with us. Jonathan, thanks for calling in, buddy. Uh, it's been good. Florida State will be at the center of attention next week, so we need you to get in for that preview. Stay with us if you'd like to. Trey, Arkansas went into Lubbock, and, and, you know, does Arkansas look like an improved team to you? Because I said it after last week. I know they played a junior college team, it looked like, but, but the guys are starting to grab Elam. I can't stand the guy. I can't stand his team. But it, it looks like they're getting better each week. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, you and I talked about the game going in, and I felt fully confident Arkansas would roll Texas Tech, and that's what happened. I mean, the Texas Tech is a very soft defensively team, Tarvin. I had no confidence they could stop that rushing attack. Yeah, I've, I've, Arkansas did come in, and and you know, one thing about Arkansas, they they can't play a lick of defense. I mean, I'm surprised they held Texas Tech to 28 points. I just think they wore Texas Tech out. But do I think Arkansas is going to win the West? You know, Sonia out there, Jason, y'all are listening right now in the chat room. No, I think they may win one game in the SEC if they get lucky, but you got to remember, I mean, the SEC West right now is loaded right now. Alabama, Auburn, LSU, A&M, Bama, I mean, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, the list goes on and on. And to, in order for Arkansas to win, they're going to have to sneak up on somebody. And I just don't see them sneaking up on anybody now. I think they, they've they got a little of attention of people, but it's going to be tough for them to, to win. So, Trey, what do you look at Brett Billima right now? What do you think he needs to do? in order to get ready for the next upcoming years, really. You know he's not going to win the SEC this year. I just don't see that happening. But what, what do you think is a reasonable goal for them after watching the first three games? And, uh, Trey, did I lose you? Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was on mute, buddy. I was just talking away. Hey, I, I think to, for Billima to really get a win in the SEC, as you and I just talked about, 
in the preview of the SEC, um, is they're going to have, based on their schedule, to throw the ball with Brendan Allen a little bit better. Uh, he's still a little too inconsistent. He still makes too many, I guess, uh, poor throws. And I, I think for them, that rushing attack, um, they're going to be able to compete a little bit. Uh, but you, you can't get too one-dimensional um, when you start conference play and in a conference like the SEC. So I, I'd like to see Allen get more consistent. He's going to he's gonna have to beat someone. Yeah, and he's not going to blow by. Like, in the first half of Auburn, they had their way up front. And, and Auburn's a different kind of style of a defense. They they play to prevent you from scoring too many points, and they know they're going to score points. But when they start playing Bama, LSU, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, teams like that that can really physically beat you up, even Georgia the team up front is very sound. They're not going to be able to run the ball like this, guys, I'm telling you. I mean, you had Auburn in the first half. They did very well. Um, school of the Death and the Blind week two, and then – Yesterday, a Texas Tech, an undersized defense. So I think Brett Bielema needs to celebrate that win yesterday because if you look at it, Jason says he needs to start, or Sonia says, start sending his resume out and he's going to go winless again. Yeah, you're right. If he goes 0-8 in the SEC again, I just don't see how they can, they can keep him around. It's all about winning. You have to win in college football to get it. JC will be on in a few minutes. We'll have him on in just a moment. But some other games real quick before we move on out there. How in the world does Southern Cal, and Trey, you, on the show the other night, you were very skeptical about this game. Southern Cal went on the road to Boston College, got 450 yards, put on, put on them on the ground. And you remember me saying this on last Sunday night show, after watching the Pac-12s, I was just not impressed with Stanford Southern Cal last week when Southern Cal beat them. I'm just not sold on either one of those teams. Michigan State went to Oregon. I picked Oregon to win, but actually I came away more impressed with Michigan State after that loss than I did with Oregon in that win. Arizona State with their quarterback hurt, I believe, Arizona in a dogfight. I'm just not sold on the Pac-12 conference. I mean, what does this say going out and losing to Boston College, Trey? I don't know if you're back or not, but Boston College, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of saw it coming a little bit. I mean, did I think that Boston College would, you know, was I comfortable in an upset? No, I didn't pick it. But I was pretty comfortable that they would play really well. Um, and I thought, you know, coming across the, the coast, people had um, sort of hyped USC, Tarvin. You know, USC was back. They were number nine in the country. And I was like, really? What have they done to deserve a number nine ranking? Yeah, I know that that went against Stanford, but, you know, that's a tough conference opponent, and, you know, those kind of things happen in conferences. But really, number nine, I I wasn't confident at all. I think the Pac-12 has got some problems now. I'm going to be off for a second. Yeah, I think they do as well. I mean, I look at the Pac-12, and I'm just not seeing it. And I I saw a post today that that said the Pac-12 was, was better or deeper than the SEC was, but just not at the top. I, I disagree with that. Um, you know, I, I just look at it and I just don't see what, what people are talking about. Uh, and maybe it's, it's just me, but I, I watch football. I watch all the games I can. I DVR. I go back, fast forward through to the main main parts and watch it. But UCLA, for example, went on the road to Texas, won by three points. And I know Hunley got hurt. His elbows hurt. But still, UCLA has looked bad for three weeks straight. And they're a top 12 team, I think, around in that area. They went to Virginia, 
looked terrible. They came back home and played Memphis at night. They looked terrible. And then last night at Texas. I'm sorry, but I'm just not seeing that part of it to where I look at the Pac-12 and say, hey, I'm, I'm confident that, that a team can, can actually win the national championship. And I know Sonia remembers a gentleman on a radio show it was Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday she was on there, and he said that he had two Pac-12 teams in the championship or in the Final Four, and I know I heard Sonya laugh. I know I know she was laughing. There's no doubt about that, but I just don't see it. Southern Cal shot themselves in the foot. I don't think there's anything they can do about the depth and the defense. I mean, I cannot believe Boston College put up 450 on them on the ground. Now, if you lose a close game, you turn the ball over four or five times, and you just had a bad day, that's different. But when you get 450 yards put on you on the ground, that says something. Look at Texas last year when they played BYU. Look at Texas when they played this year at BYU. There's serious issues in Texas, and they can't stop the run. And I think a lot of teams will look at Virginia's playbook, what they or Boston College's playbook, and do exactly what they did to, to beat Southern Cal. I don't see the playmakers out there that, that I'm used to seeing the defense intensity wasn't even there. And I, I know you went from California to the East Coast. I get that. But teams do that all the time. Teams go from the East to the West, the West to the East, and it happens. You have to deal with that. And I just don't buy that excuse. But it is 9.15 p.m. Eastern. You are listening to Weigh In Sports Talk Live. And, and we're going to bring on our guest, J.C. Sherbert from 247 Sports. Look, my studio was giving me issues. JC, thanks for joining us. Hope you're having a great weekend. Hey, it's great to be with you guys tonight. Thanks for coming. And, and I don't know about you. Did you go into this weekend of football looking at it like ah, nothing good's going to happen, or did you pick a couple of upsets? Well, you know, primarily, you know, as far as conferences go, you know, I cover the SEC, Pac-12, and ACC. You know, while there were a couple of good Pac-12 matchups the week before, including one great one with Oregon and Michigan State, uh, and then, of course, Virginia Tech and Ohio State, the SEC schedule left a lot to be desired. Um, so I think after sitting through the second week of the season and watching blowout after blowout or sloppy game after sloppy game, uh, you know, heading into this weekend, at least there were some compelling uh, matchups. And, uh, you know, honestly, I I expected Boston College to give USC a game. Uh, I thought it was kind of a, a bridge too far to go that way across the country. And Boston College is good. I think Steve Adazio can really coach. Did not expect him to beat the Trojans. Um, and I expected a somewhat close game between Georgia and South Carolina. I did not say the Gamecocks would have it defensively to win the game, but uh, they certainly did. And, um, you know, so those two things obviously surprised me uh, as far as just the action goes. But, no, I, I don't think he came into this weekend with the anticipation that, that maybe next weekend will bring with, uh, you know, I think Mississippi State going to LSU. And, uh, you know, you also have Alabama and Florida playing. Um, you know, those are some games that will get some people's attention, Clemson and Florida State. But, uh, you know, I, I still think it was not a disappointing weekend of football uh, overall, and, and I didn't anticipate that it would be. Well, I want to ask you real quick, Georgia, South Carolina, after week one, I mean, how many experts out there, ESPN, had Georgia in the final four? You know, Gurley went on the highs, but I know Gurley's all that, but, but how much of that actually – 
hurt Georgia with the bye week and South Carolina losing in the fashion they did to Texas A&M, I mean, I, I guess now it's easy to say Georgia was a little overrated, right? I mean, you could, you could say that, but, uh, you know, the winner of this game, Georgia and South Carolina, it used to be that the winner would usually go on to have a good season. The loser would, you know, struggle and, and, and maybe get to six, seven games. It's kind of a benchmark. But, uh, you know, 2011 and 2012, uh, South Carolina won that game, did not win the East. Georgia did. And then last year, Georgia won the game and did not win the East. Missouri did. So, uh, it's not necessarily a telltale sign. You know, I, I think Georgia has a good football team, but I think that, you know, two things stood out. First of all, the Georgia defense is what we thought it was. It's a work in progress. They have a very athletic front. They have a really, you know, top to bottom, a good front seven. Uh, not a great one. The linebackers are the strength of the team. Their secondary has issues, though. And we knew that coming in. I think in the Clemson game, what happened was Debo Sweeney pointed this out afterward. You know, Clemson's offense just kept misfiring, three and out, three and out, three and out. When you're a tempo team like that, uh, and you just keep giving the ball back to the other team in 20 seconds uh, and not staying on the field, you know, your defense is going to get tired. And I think that's what happened. You know, we had a situation where Georgia just pulled away from a tired team because Clemson you know, just sputtered uh, more so than Georgia doing a whole lot to, to scheme them up and, and stop them. And, you know, I think South Carolina, the difference in that game compared to the first one was South Carolina was able to line up and control the line of scrimmage with their offensive line in the second half, uh, you know, run the football. There are not too many teams in the country uh, that when they line up and run the ball like South Carolina did that they're going to lose a game. Uh, like that, you know, and, and still, even with that, Georgia has its chances, don't get me wrong, but uh, I think that, that that's sort of what you're seeing is that Georgia was who we thought they were. Now, you know, with that said, Justin Scott Wesley gets back, Malcolm Mitchell gets back, you know, that gives them more weapons in the passing game. I, I thought that that's kind of what stood out, too, about their offense, is that Todd Gurley was the best player on the field and thus the, by far the best player that Georgia had on their offense. And the number two best player was probably Nick Chubb, and number three was Sonny Michael. Um, you know, Chris Connolly did not have a good game. Hudson Mason was not a difference maker out there. Their line uh, did not dominate, you know. And, and Gurley had some very human runs uh, where South Carolina just tackled him. He had some very non-human runs, too. <laughs> uh, but I think that was an issue for Georgia, too, was that, you know, it was just all Todd Gurley. Uh, it was it, it felt like South Carolina was playing Todd Gurley uh, at times. And, you know, obviously when they get some of their weapons back and some of their other players, you know, start to play with their potential, it, it'll be a different story. But uh, I think, you know, throwing the overrated label on them right now, you know, we'll see. I, I do think, though, that, you know, maybe too much was read into that opening weekend game uh, against Clemson. Probably too much was read into the final score because it was a three-point game going on in the fourth quarter. Uh, and I think that maybe caused, uh, you know, a little bit more of a surprise uh, there. But the East is wide open. You know, the winner of that division could have three conference losses this year. Um, it's, it's anybody's game. I could see a number of teams winning it. Well, let's look at the Alabama Crimson Tide, J.C. They're 3-0. and I mean, really, West Virginia looked a little better than, than people thought they were going to be. 
But now going into Florida, has Alabama settled on Sims being the quarterback, or are they still trying to see if Coker can win that job? I don't expect Jacob Coker to play a whole lot against Florida unless the game gets out of hand. Um, you know, I, I thought at the beginning they'd probably go with Sims and, and ride him until they were just forced to make a change. I think that, you know, you watch Coker set up, throw the ball, and, and his feet, and his height, and all that. I mean, he's he's more talented than Blake Sims. But, you know, obviously the team responds to Sims. He knows the system very well. Uh, I thought he played a good game. I thought Alabama sort of slept walked a little bit through Southern Miss. Southern Miss isn't very good at all. Um you know, and they kind of toyed with them a, a bit. But uh, I think it'll be Sims, and, you know, it'll be interesting because I, I think that if, if it were Coker against Florida, you know, given Florida's ability on defense, you know, and Coker's more of a pocket passer, you know, I think the Gators could give the Tide some trouble. Uh, and I still think Florida will go in there and play well, but, you know, Sims being the X factor in the run game like he is, uh, you can use some of that aggression uh, against the Florida defense and, and make some plays. You saw Patrick Poles uh, for Kentucky uh, get a little bit of breathing room uh, running wise. And Sims certainly, uh, you know, Poles has some wheels, but uh, Sims has some much better wheels. <laughs> uh, so I, th- I think that, you know, not only from the standpoint of, you know, Sims being more experienced and, and, and the guy that has been starting so far, uh, but from a scheme standpoint, from a matchup standpoint, I, I think the title go with Sims. And, you know, I expect him to have a good game. Well, I, I want to look down the road at Alabama a little bit. I don't think Florida can beat them. We'll just skip past that. Can you give me uh, the teams that you see on Alabama's schedule that 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 really are going to challenge Alabama? And and can Alabama win the SEC with Sims as the quarterback? To answer your second question first, yes. Um, they're talented enough to do that across the board. I mean, they're not too many Amari Coopers and T.J. Yeldons and Derrick Henrys and O.J. Howards and, and Chris Blacks and all those guys lining up uh, for other teams. But, you know, the, I, you know, to answer your first question, yes, I think Ole Miss. I think it's been quite a while since Ole Miss has beaten Alabama. And that game's in Oxford, and if you watch Ole Miss play this year, the talent they've recruited on the defensive side of the ball uh, is starting to mature and play at a high level. Their defense is very, very good. And I think, you know, when you're trying to beat Alabama, you need to be good on defense because Alabama has a lot of weapons on offense. And if you can't get them stopped, as I said earlier, it rests their defense, and their defense is always good, so it's problematic. But, but you also look at the other side of the ball for the Rebels, uh, and Bo Wallace, uh, since the first half of the Boise game, where he kind of stunk it up through, I think, three interceptions, he settled in and is playing like a senior, playing like a leader. And, you know, you got Laquan Treadwell out there, uh, Evan Ingram at tight end. They have two or three backs. Their offensive line is good. Um, you know, personnel-wise, and with that game being in Oxford, uh, you know, that that's a game, if I'm Alabama, I'm, I'm not looking forward to because – this is not the same old Ole Miss team. I mean, this is a team that's, you know, seeing seeing the benefits of recruiting uh, firsthand and seeing the benefits of assembling talent firsthand. You know, if Wallace continues to play well, uh, you know, and they continue to be great on defense, you know, they could they could beat Mammoth then. 
Okay, JC, I'm going to turn it over a question to my co-host, Trey Patterson. You've met him before. Trey, JC is all yours now for a minute. <laughs> hey, JC, thanks a lot for coming on. Great to talk to you again. Uh, no, no, uh, no surprise, you're one of our favorite callers from our listeners. JC, let me ask you about the upcoming week. We know that Florida State Clemson is going to be on a big on the schedule. Uh, I got to tell you, I look at the line of 22, and I, I kind of scratch my head. I know that Florida State is apparently still very talented, but I see something off of this team so far. Uh, JC, what do you, what do you see out of the Knowles? And I, I'm seeing a team that could lose a game or two this year. Yeah, and and you know, here's the thing with Florida State. It, it's it's a lot like in college basketball. You know, I'll tell. will take you back 20 years. SEC college basketball. Arkansas won the 1994 national championship. They had like, Scotty Thurman and, and all, all those cats beat Duke up in Charlotte. And I think they had four starters back the next year. That was before everybody went crazy and looked at the NBA. Um, the next year, Arkansas, I think, was a six seed with the same guys, five seed, four seed, six seed. Well, they decided to start playing in the tournament, and they ended up making the championship game. They lost to a good UCLA team, I think the O'Bannon team, uh, in the championship game. I mean, they made it all the way to the finals. Um, and, and so you see things like that, you know, with overly talented teams that return a lot of players. In Kentucky basketball this year, uh, you see it. Now that we're in a playoff type of scenario in college football, you know, Florida State could make the top four by the skin of their teeth with a loss uh, and still win the whole thing just because they have that kind of talent. And You know, the thing about this team, too, that you have to keep in mind is last year they were not challenged until Auburn. Uh, the Clemson game last year ended up 51-14, to 14, Florida State. Uh, I think Boston College gave them somewhat of a game. Other than that, they rolled through everybody. Uh, you know, so this year, obviously, I think the schedule is a little bit more difficult. Oklahoma State gave them all they want. I think the fact that they win and then they've won, uh, you know, shows a little bit of heart and determination. But, uh, you know, I'm with you. I, I don't know that there's going to be the 55-7 to 7 type of games. I think there's going to be several that uh, Florida State will, will struggle with. And if Clemson's kick, clicking on offense, and they usually do when they go down to Tallahassee. I think it's 49-37 two years ago, and Clemson had a 13-point lead, and then FSU came back and rallied and won. Um, if Clemson can keep it clicking on offense and drive up and down the field, Clemson's defense is good enough when they're not tired uh, to slow the Knowles, to slow Jameis Winston. So that, that game could be much closer uh, than 22 points on Saturday night. I, I do think – you know, I do think that's a big number. Uh, I kind of see a little bit where they're coming from uh, because maybe you think, well, FSU survived Oklahoma State and then the Citadel game, you know, was what it was, triple option team, and, you know, they kind of just went through the motions there. Um, so maybe you expect them to turn it on when Clemson comes to town. But I, I think that, you know, this is the type of team that's immensely talented uh, but that's probably not going to put up, you know, the impressive, like I said, 52-7 to 7 type of games like it did last year. JC, I appreciate that. Let me ask you, looking at the schedule this week, 
um, coming up. What's another game that, that we all should be looking at that maybe we're overlooking or could be closer or that maybe could be a potential another upset, another top ten team maybe going down? Uh, what do you see out there? So I think SMU can beat Texas A&M. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you had me really going, man, maybe I don't know SMU. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would have been kind of fun. I think, I think North Texas beat SMU 43-6 and Gene Jones quit. But, uh, shoot, the game's up there now. You never know when you go on the road. But no, uh, I uh, I kind of like this Mississippi State-LSU game. Um, you know, Mississippi State has a lot of players coming back, a lot of talent. A lot of players, Dan Mullins, developed in that system. They have a very good defensive line. With, uh, you know, this kid, Preston Smith, I think's one SEC D lineman of the week, or been up for it twice. But they really haven't played anybody. You know, they played uh, Southern Miss first game of the year, beat them handedly, struggled with an improved UAB team, and then went down to South Alabama and, and beat the Jaguars 35-3 to in, in a game that really meant a lot to the South Alabama program. But, you know, talent-wise, Mississippi State just sort of rolled them. Um, so this is a different type of deal than this Mississippi State team has been through. I expect there to probably be a little bit of extra bounce in the step around Starkville this week because it's a big opportunity. And, and what you have is, and this happens, you know, with, I guess, big six types of program, big seven types of programs in the league and, you know, the other guys is that sometimes – you know, the, the bigger programs like the LSU's, Auburn, and Alabama's, you know, they go through a cycle where they're playing a ton of freshmen. They have a lot of inexperience, you know, especially with all the guys that have gone to the NFL from LSU early. And then you have a Mississippi State, and their guys have stayed, and they've been in the program three or four years. They're experienced. And, you know, as far as raw talent goes and ceiling goes and future NFL players go, and the projection of the roster, LSU is definitely more talented. But do they have better players right now than Mississippi State? You know, if this game were in Starkville, I'd probably predict State to win it straight up. But it's not. It's down there. We all know how tough of a place that is to play. And, um, you know, LSU will probably win the game. But I, I'm intrigued by it because, you know, goodness gracious, guys, this could be the type of year because the West is so deep. I mean, Arkansas is still probably the number 17 uh, in that division, and they went on the road and skunked Texas Tech by 21 points. Uh, you know, I think that uh, the West is so deep that you can see the Egg Bowl uh, being a determining type of game uh, in the race for that division if there's a lot of teams with one or two losses, which could happen. Um, so I think that uh, – you know, we talk about Ole Miss, and certainly their their start is uh, tremendous. And I think that they're you know a very good football team as well. But Mississippi State, uh, very quietly, um, you know, has put together a roster that that can raise them up a level. Uh, and Dan Mullen's already taken them to four straight bowls, so they they've got a chance to take that next step. Uh, and it all starts Saturday with LSU. Well, well, J.C., Thursday night game, we get a treat. The Auburn Tigers take their fifth ranking, and they go on the road to Kansas State. A lot of people out there saying 
this could be a trap game. Kansas State could win. First of all, do you think Auburn's going to win this game and by how much? And second of all, how is Auburn still flying under the radar? It's like still nobody's talking about them. They're talking about Oklahoma, Florida State, Oregon, and Bama, but no mention of Auburn. Yeah, um, well, in fairness to myself, I, I have Auburn in my predicted Final Four and not Alabama. Um, and it's just because, you know, I think Auburn's probably been a little more impressive in their games. and Auburn's the defending SEC champion and played for the national title last year. And, you know, they don't look that much dissimilar uh, to last year's team. In fact, they look a lot stronger uh, in certain other areas. Um, the, the thing about Auburn is is that that scheme uh, that Gus Malzahn runs on on offense, when he has a quarterback that can run, um, it becomes – you know, one of those things that's very, very difficult to scheme up and stop. You know, if you think about uh, when he was there under Chiswick, you know, the first year I think Chris Todd was a quarterback, was kind of a passer, um, put up big numbers, they threw the ball well, they had a good offense, but, you know, it wasn't dominant. Well, then Cam Newton comes in, and they win the national championship. Well, then the next year, they're trying to go with Barrett Trotter and Clint Mosley and you know, those guys, I think they won eight games and, and won the Chick-fil-A Bowls. And the next year, the bottom fell out uh, when Malzahn left. So I think that, uh, you know, he has to have uh, to make that offense go from, like, A-minus to A-plus. He needs a guy that can run. Of course, they're recruiting guys that can run. Uh, and they have one in Nick Marshall and then another guy in Jeremy Johnson that it and run it and do all those good things, and their receivers are better. You know, Duke Williams is uh, potentially special. So, you know, I, I look at Auburn, and if they can survive their schedule, which is tough, uh, I think they go to both Mississippis. You know, LSU comes to town. Their East games are South Carolina and Georgia. I mean, they've got, <laughs> they've got quite uh-huh. a schedule. Um, but I, I think that uh, – you know, I think that the matchups, when you look at it, there's not really a team on the schedule where you go, well, Auburn's really going to, you know, struggle in this one and have trouble. And they could beat every single team they play, uh, and it wouldn't be a shock. That includes Kansas State Thursday night. I think that, you know, they're going to be hanging from the rafters out there. But um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I just. You know, I heard going into the SEC championship game last year, guys, somebody that covers the Big 12 was telling me how Missouri was going to stop Auburn because, you know, they were so used to stopping a, a spread attack out in the Big 12. Well, look, the, the Big 12 spreads, they're going to split them five wide and chuck it all over the yard. Uh, that's what they do. Uh, it's a lot like what Texas A&M does. Um Auburn is a different beast because it's so much about running the football and, and, and you know a lot of window dressing, but it gets down to hard nose blocking and uh, some misdirection and your backs hitting your holes and you know that's the kind of thing you want to take on the road into a hostile environment. You, know, you don't want Nick Marshall there having to check into you know five different pass plays and that crowd noise and stuff. You want to line up and, and gash them. And uh, I certainly think Auburn's capable of that. I, I think Auburn wins 49-21. to 21. That's my prediction for that game. 
That's a that's a good score, and then, and I, I look at it too. When you can run the ball downhill, and and it, it's like you think somebody's going to catch up to it, but it it takes more than just discipline. It takes talent, discipline. It takes total dedication. And you look at that schedule, JC. It I mean I think Auburn can stop themselves when you when you look at that. But it's going to be interesting. But but before you go, can you give us your final four prediction and maybe even a little step further, who's going to play for it and win it? Right now, you know, I do this every week, every Sunday, Saturday night, actually, on 24-7 sports. I think I, I put it up right before the Arizona State game ended last night, at about midnight central time. Uh, but I've got Oregon number one. Uh, you know, the Ducks won probably the biggest game of the year, or, you know, I guess the game with the two best teams played that have played uh, and won it in impressive fashion. Marcus Mariota is very good. You know, I think Royce Freeman gives them a third back, which is very scary. You know, right now they deserve to be the number one projection. I think Oklahoma uh, could be the best team in the country, and uh, it's because they're one of the Big 12 teams that has a very good defense to go along with an explosive offense. So they're number two. I have Auburn number three and NFSU number four. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, FSU and, and Auburn uh, with big wins this weekend could be kind of jumbled. In that scenario, uh, I would say probably, uh, you know, I would go with Oklahoma and, and probably Florida State. Uh, just because Florida State, even if they do sleepwalk through the ACC, you know, you give them a month to prepare for Oregon. They've got a lot of talent on that team that can match up athletically with them. Um, you know, and, and I think they'll just turn it on when they get to the playoffs. And then, you know, Auburn-Oklahoma would be an interesting matchup. I think it would be very close. Uh, but give the edge to the Sooners right now because of just how good they are. Uh, and, and so I think we would end up seeing uh, a non no, – no SEC teams. Uh, in the championship game, and Oklahoma FSU play, and you know probably Oklahoma taking the whole thing right there in Dallas. Well, JC, that the Oklahoma Sooners very impressive last night. They they look like finally they have a, a defense to go along with the offense, and the running game kind of reminds me of Auburn the way they run downhill. They don't spread you out and just try to finesse you. For, for some reason, JC, they figured out how to run the football very physically between the tackles. I like that thing. Yeah, I do too, and I think that's Oklahoma football. You know, I think that's where Texas has sort of gone wrong. Is that you know Texas under Mac Brown tried to, I guess, sort of be like the other Big Twelve teams. And I mean, if you're Texas and Oklahoma, why do you want to be Baylor or Oklahoma State? I mean, those guys are beating you right now, and, and they're really good. And, you know, nothing against Baylor. Baylor could end up getting in the Final Four if it could beat Oklahoma. Um, they're they're that good and they're better on defense, but you know Texas and OU, you know they, the fabric of those programs is lining up and smash mouths, running it down people's throat, playing defense. If you have a lot of great quarterbacks that can throw and great wide receivers like Oklahoma does, that's fine. Uh, you know, throw it all you want, but you know I, I think Oklahoma's always going to be at its best with a power run game, you know, regardless of it's out of the shotgun or not, and uh, a very good defense. And since Mike Stoops has gotten back there, uh, you know, that defense has really come a long way in a short amount of time. And, and that's what I like about them is they, you know, they've got a defense to go along with being able to score points. 
Well, JC, we want to thank you tonight for coming, and you can follow JC on Twitter at JC Sherbert, J-C-S-H-U-R-B-U-R-T-T. JC, thanks again for coming. Always a, a great conversation with you. Hey, I enjoyed it, fellas. Talk to you soon, okay? Uh, yes, sir. Trey, JC, I mean, he likes the Oklahoma Sooners. I know preseason we didn't really like Oklahoma, but the more I watch them, the more I'm, I'm seeing that Oklahoma could be the real deal. I mean, and also, who's going to beat Oklahoma on that schedule? That's another big question. Well, um, you know, Tom, I, I'm still waiting. Uh, I don't see a game that they've played that I didn't think they were supposed to win. And so I, I'm going to wait for them. They're still not in my top four or final four, however you will. Um, but they can get there. And they, they beat Baylor, they were talking. But Tom, I'm going to step out for like 10 minutes, and I'll be back. All right. We're not going to be on much longer. Want to want to talk, JC Sherbert. Thanks again for coming on live away in sports talk. Remember at JC Sherbert. You can follow him on Twitter. But the Tennessee Volunteers went into Oklahoma last night. Another big game on the menu. And and I'll tell you this about Tennessee. They those guys are, are just a little bit away from being able to compete and beat a team like Oklahoma on the road. You got to remember, Tennessee lost their offensive line and their entire defensive line, and they went on a road in a in a tough place to play at night in Norman, Oklahoma. You know they made some mistakes, but now heading into bye week, I'm sure Coach Jones is going to have them watching film, getting better at the things they need to get better. But Worley, the quarterback, was running for his life last night, and you got to feel bad for that. And I was thinking, you know, if, if Tennessee could have maybe put in their dual threat quarterback a little bit to to buy some time to hit some plays downfield. That was the problem. Worley would get the ball, and all of a sudden he'd have five guys in his face knocking him down. And after four quarters of that, I was surprised to see Worley still getting up and competing. You have to take your hat off to Tennessee last night for what they were able to do. Going down to cut it to ten points, they threw a pick six, a 100-yard return for a touchdown that, that kind of sealed the deal and and ended the game. But Tennessee was close to making that a 10-point game and going into the fourth quarter, really, with a whole quarter to the left, anything could have happened. So just want to congratulate Oklahoma for that victory last night. But also, you know, if you're a Tennessee fan out there, don't get too discouraged because better things are going to happen. You're going to keep recruiting. And that win against or that game against Oklahoma last night is going to help you when you play Alabama, when you play, you know, teams that, that are – top-notch SEC teams. It's going to prepare you for Georgia and Florida. You're not going to be phased when you go on the road. If you can go to Norman and play, you can play anywhere. So just kudos to the Tennessee Volunteers for, for showing up and playing hard. And, and I made a mistake last weekend saying that after Florida played a junior college team that I thought they were back. But last night, a triple overtime game against Kentucky. I mean, Florida looked just awful. Or to Kentucky, are they just that good? I don't know. We're going to find out more about Florida when they head to Tuscaloosa for 3.30 Eastern kickoff on CBS on Saturday. But Kansas State-Auburn coming up Thursday night. I'm excited for the to see the Auburn Tigers on a, new, on a road game, actually, on a, a Thursday night. They've had a bye week. Kansas State's had an off week. But I'm telling you, this Auburn offense, can get it going, and on the road, you can really shut a crowd up if you you put two or three touchdowns real quick on them, and that's what I'm hoping happens. I'm hoping they win and come out unscathed, 
but we've covered a lot of the games out there. East Carolina went to Virginia Tech and, and actually shocked the world. After Virginia Tech went to Ohio State last weekend and beat Ohio State 35-21, to they came in and looked good. We're about to cover just a little NFL action, but uh, today in the NFL was exciting. You know, the Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton's first game back, they get a win over the Lions 24-7. to The Bengals take care of the Falcons rather easily and some controversy coming into that game at the end Matt Ryan took a cheap shot five broke out and so all's better right now currently the 49ers are playing the Bears on TV and Trey is back Trey just want to talk about right now the uh the Atlanta Falcons I picked the Bengals to actually uh take care of the Atlanta Falcons at home I keep wanting to see the Atlanta Hawks because I keep reading about that story but uh, what was Matt Ryan doing at the end of the game in that one? I think you need to take him out when the game's in doubt like that at the end. Yeah, I was. I mean, yeah, it was it was away. I mean, the game was pulling away. There was no point for him to be in the game. Um, if, if the Falcons think they have you know a lot to play with for this year, I think he needs to come out. Uh, so I agree with that. I mean, the Falcons are getting beat the way they did, uh, and the fact that hey, the Saints are zero two as well, Tarvin. So we don't really know what to make of the Falcons <laughs> and the Saints victory over the Saints' victory because I mean, the Saints go on the road and lose to the Cleveland Browns. Oh wow! So uh, that was there's a, shock. a lot of races, yeah, that are just up in the air right now. Uh, NFL is kind of a crazy, a crazy sport sometimes, uh, Tarvin. I mean, you got the Patriots dominating the Vikings today, so. Uh, NFL, it was a good day. Well, Trey, you didn't have San Diego, Seattle on your list, and I bet you're kicking yourself for not putting <laughs> that one on there. But San Diego, it shows. I mean, this is why, to me, college football is, is special, and, and the four-team playoff is probably the perfect amount. I mean, because you look at this. I mean, Seattle probably didn't care. They went to San Diego. They lost. No big deal. They've got 15 more chances or whatever to come back. But in college football, every week is a playoff, really. You can be eliminated early, but in the NFL, you know, you have the playoffs. But it was a crazy week. And to, and to see Cleveland beat New Orleans, I mean, is, is Drew Brees getting old, Trey? Is that is that what the problem is? And, and the defense with Ryan there, everybody's talking about how great it was. They look pathetic. Yeah, I mean, there was some problems for sure. I didn't like how um... – the offensive line was getting pushed around by really um, not exactly a strong. I mean, Cleveland had a couple of guys out. Um, they really weren't getting the, the support of push off the ball that you'd like. Breeze didn't have that kind of protection that you'd like for him as well. Uh, but, you know, kind of like what I saw from uh, Matt Ryan a little bit today and I saw from even uh, the Packers uh, early in the first half, Harvin, I saw quarterbacks basically looking downfield and when they had guys open about eight yards down the field not taking that easy check. Um, so, um, yeah, I think part of that is that. Part of it, I think everybody's getting that big ball the scenario where they want to throw it down the field. And I, I saw that with all three quarterbacks. Speaking of big ball, Frank Gore just took one through an entire Chicago Bears defense for a long way for a touchdown. That's a man running the football. But one thing that disheartened me in the NFL today, Trey, was – in the Tampa game, the Rams game, Tampa was driving at the end. Evans took a shot over the middle. He came down over the middle with a great catch, and there was eight seconds left. And because he was hurt and they got him off the field, they did a 10-second runoff in field goal range, and Tampa lost. I mean, 
I don't like that rule. I think they need to do no. something about it because he, because he was seriously hurt. I mean, it was yeah. bad. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that, that, that's something that I don't appreciate either with the NFL. I mean, some of the rules, you understand, well, they have to be there, but some of the application just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you sacrifice your body to go over the middle to make a catch like that, and, and you get a 10-second runoff. And he was trying so hard to get off that field. I mean, that, that's Evans. You know he's tough. We've seen him make some catches and take some beatings in the SEC. He's tough. But before we go, Trey, I want to talk about Urban Meyer a second. After losing to 14 by 14 to Virginia Tech, he's playing Kent State this weekend, up 60-something to nothing. And with time running out in the game, he throws a 50-yard Hail Mary pass trying to score. I mean, what is he trying to prove by doing that? I think it makes him look a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, not only him, Tarvin, I also thought, and, and then the game that many people probably didn't watch, the Cincinnati game, where I saw Gunnar Keel with like 40 seconds left in the game, throw it downfield for a touchdown um, rather than running the, run the clock out. Um, it just seems like a lot of these coaches seem to think they have to run up the score to impress somebody. And I can tell you right now, Ohio State, buddy, it doesn't help you. Cincinnati, it doesn't help you either. Um, <laughs> nobody cares about that last score, that last touchdown. Um, but, the, but for Ohio State, loss of Virginia Tech, that matters, buddy. Yeah, that matters. And you, you try – and you know what? You can get quarterbacks hurt, players injured when you're up like that. That's when people start taking cheap shots when they see you trying to do – something running up the score. You saw Citadel against Florida State. Florida State came into that game just trying to get out of that game, and Citadel was delivering some cheap shots, trying to end the careers of some of those players. So you you have to be careful as a coach, Trey, that, that you don't want karma to come back and get you. And I think Urban Meyer heard the media all week blasting the Big Ten and up north, and I think he, he maybe he was frustrated, but he took it out. It's like – it's like, Trey, you, you, you giving me a hard time of me going home and beating my wife because you gave me a hard time. I mean, that's what Urban Meyer's doing. He can't beat the big boys, so he has to go take it out on somebody else. But the Big Ten, did they did they rebound in your eyes this week at all? <laughs> Absolutely. No, they think that works. I mean, the Big Ten made a huge jag. I mean, Iowa, was, people were saying Iowa could run the table or, you know, even win 10 games. They lost to a terrible Iowa State team who had lost to a, to an FCS school, uh, you know, North Dakota State. Um, so the big well, hold on, Trey. Iowa State game. almost beat Kansas State. Iowa State almost beat <laughs> powerhouse Kansas State. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the Kansas State that, that we have to hype up, right, the, the one that's 2-0 and against, uh, <laughs> against who they beat, uh, Stephen F. Austin, who I think – is actually an actual person, not a college. Which lessens <laughs> that 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 win, and then of course Kansas State barely got by a terrible, terrible Iowa State team who was 0 and 2 going into. Of course, they get their win against the Big Ten. So, Big Ten is super struggling right now. Illinois got blew, blew out by somebody, Washington or something. I mean, so yeah, it was bad. It was a bad a bad week for the Big Ten as well. Well, let me tell you something that then give me your thoughts. Seven SEC teams are in the top 15 in the AP poll. I mean, it can't stay that way much longer because the conference games are, are about to start. But, but what do you see in the SEC right now? Do you think it's a bunch of propaganda? Do you think it's uh, media doing this? I mean, for what, what do you think? Is the SEC that good? Are they deeper? I don't think it's deeper. I don't, I don't think it's hype. I don't think it's propaganda, and I don't think it's legitimate, if that makes sense. I think it's a little bit of everything. I think 
there are some teams in that top 15 who, who are who are going to be exposed, and it's not because uh, they were, you know, unfortunately some teams get overhyped, and that's just the way it is. I mean, uh, I'm looking at you in the state of Mississippi, <laughs> Mississippi, Mississippi State. I mean, well, Ole Miss is, what, number 10 in the country right now, Parman? Um, yeah, I, I, I never thought I'd live to see that day. Yeah, well, it has to be early in the season because we know it won't be late. So, I mean, some of these things, I mean, we see every year. I think Mississippi State got there last year around this time. I mean, there's always some random team uh, that gets up there, and a lot of times it's the SEC because it's so deep. That, uh, But they really, a lot of these teams haven't played anybody yet. And so we'll, we'll see when it comes down to it. I mean, right now, is it deserved? Sure, why not? I mean, you know, some of these teams have looked impressive, and that's what matters right now. It'll sort itself out. Well, if you, if you had to pick, you know, I mean, I'm sure you think the SEC is the best conference right now after three yeah. weeks. Who's who's number two? I mean, did the Big 12 move up in your eyes at all? I know the Big Ten's at the bottom below the MAC, but where's yeah. the ACC and the uh, Pac-12 at in your eyes right now? Well, that, it, I'll tell you, I, I think – because of Oregon's eliteness, I think that I still have the Pac-12 at two. A uh, week two, I have the ACC at three, uh, really a tied for third with the Big 12. And I think after that, it really doesn't matter if the AAC or the Big 10 are going to be there. Uh, but I really don't think there's a clear number two right now. I mean, you have, um, you know, the ACC has done some some poor things at a conference. They've done some really good things, like beating a top ten uh, Big Ten team, um, like Virginia Tech did, but then they go off and then lose the next week to East Carolina. But, you know, East Carolina all the way lost by 10, South Carolina. So, I mean, a lot of these things are kind of hard to figure out. But I'll, I'll tell you right now, um, I have the I have the Big 12 sort of – we'll see. They're, I'm, st- I'm, still not, I'm still a little skeptical because some of their teams have gotten waxed a little bit. I mean, Duke took Kansas into the woodshed this past weekend. And last I checked, you know, Duke – you know, this is a Duke still – so I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, some of that stuff you got you got to look into. But Tarvin, I'll tell you, just, this is before we go off of the air. My top four right now, um, I have Oregon one, so I agree with J.C. Sherbert on that. I have Auburn two because I think they've been the most impressive team that I've seen. Even though you can argue about their competition, but they still look really good doing it. Uh, at three, I have Florida State. Uh, I think they're struggling, and they're my bubble team right now. And then at four, I have Alabama. So I have two SEC teams in my top four, and that's my playoff four. With my fifth team, targeting my bubble team, Texas A&M. So in my yeah. top five, I have three SEC teams. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds about right. I, I mean, you could put Auburn at one, and you can't really argue. They played in the championship game last year. They returned almost their entire team. They look better. you got to have Oklahoma – close to there by, by what they're doing. But, again, they haven't really played the competition. Um, you know, Florida State, you know, the talent, you can't deny that. And Alabama's got a stage coming up where they're going to be able to tell it. But, Trey, we can't end this show without bringing the attention. One thing, this is, you know, we got four minutes left in the show. Florida or Texas last night, UCLA wins the coin toss, Trey, and <laughs> defers to Texas. And Texas decides they want to – play defense first and then play defense again in the second half. I mean, who do you blame this on? Do you blame it on the coach? Because the referee did actually take time out, turn the microphone off, like you said, and say, hey, kid, I think you're screwing up. But he still messed up. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it has to be coached. You have to tell your guy if this happens, this, you know, this is what's going to happen. So some assistant coach who probably the special teams coordinator has probably got a pretty good chewing out. 
Uh, I will say, Tarvin, before you go, though, there is there is somebody who picked Texas to win that game. I got real close to that prediction on a whim. Uh, so uh, that's that's tell you something about the Pac-12 too. I mean, UCLA has almost lost the, all three games so far. Uh, so I, their their time is coming, buddy. They're they're going to get beat pretty good here. At there, yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. I don't see any way, especially now with Hunley being hurt. I mean, this uh, this team is. I don't know what happened to him, Trey, but I need to ask you, September 14th, 2014, right now, Charlie Strong, and I'm hearing some grumbling from the upper people at Texas, the boosters, the people that, that pay the money to these recruits and get them here. They're not happy with Strong, and do you think he's going to survive? I mean, I don't, I don't think Texas is going to be that patient. Now with someone in the state of Texas rolling the way he is in recruiting, will Charlie Strong make it much longer? Well, I think for Texas, I think they they should they should give him a little bit longer. I mean, you know, I know wins matter, but the fact that they played UCLA that well, um, and Swoops looked busy. I mean, this is a kid who's not even supposed to be playing. Their starting quarterback is out. I think people forget about that at Texas. I mean, the, the guy who they they thought were gonna, was going to be there is now concussed, maybe out of the league. I mean, so that's kind of a sad story for for David Ash. Uh, so now they turned it over to a kid who was not supposed to be there. And he almost beat, you know, a top-10 team in UCLA, so or wherever they're ranked now. But, uh, you know, so I think there's some building blocks, uh, but he's going to have to win a game this year um, that they're not supposed to. And he almost got it at UCLA. I think he needs something to build on for recruits and something to build on for, obviously, the trustees. Well, I just want everybody to know out there I really appreciate what Charlie Strong is trying to do. But – you're not running a Boy Scout clinic out here, guys. I mean, you're not you're not trying to get the best of the best moral kids, and, and, and it just doesn't work out that way. You want that, but I think he's taking this cleaning house a little way too far. Maybe it's because it's not his own kids that he recruited, but if he keeps kicking kids off for, for doing the things they're doing that he's kicking them off for, they're not going to have much of a chance. And also, Trey, looking at recruiting, do you want to go to Texas if you are a, maybe a little bit of a troublemaker? You can get in some trouble with a threat of getting kicked off a team with the first warning or something. You do something wrong the first time, you're out the door, and it's hard to go to another school and pick up. Well, I mean, you hope kids aren't looking at that right now. <laughs> Well, they are. I mean, I think they do. I mean, do you want to? I guess do you want to play for a disciplinarian that has zero tolerance, or do you want to play with someone that that'll help you develop as a young man and give you some chances? Because it's a fine line right there. Charlie Strong's trying to do the right thing. I I get that, and I applaud him for it. But you start doing what he's doing too much, and you try to win on top of that, you're not going to get the kind of players to come there that can help you win. That's all I'm saying. I mean, you have to have a little thug in you to be able to play and win championships. You've got to have – you can't have 4.0 students that never have gotten in trouble playing on your football team if you're going to win. It just doesn't work like that. Look at Miami back in the day. They were probably the the meanest team around, some of the things they did, but they won football games. They weren't 4.0 students. They didn't go to Sunday school every day, you know. Yeah, I, I, I definitely get your point. I hope I said that right and didn't mean it. But Charlie Strong's a great man. That's that's all I'm going to say. And, and I wish him well. I hope he I hope he does a good job at Texas. But Trey, I'm muting you. This show is over. We'll be live Wednesday night 
at 9 or 8.30 p.m. Eastern, excuse me, we're going to preview the top ten games. And, Trey, I don't care what you say, Auburn and Kansas State will be on that list. So I'll override you on that one, sir. Auburn, Kansas State, Thursday night, we've got a lot to do. We have LSU, Mississippi State, Alabama, Florida, Florida State, Clemson. So if, if you thought this weekend was good, just wait till next weekend and see what happens. Until then, again, thanks, J.C. Sherbert, for coming on the air, Sonia Minson and Jason, Jonathan Niklos and Everett Pratt. Thanks for calling in and joining us, everybody in the chat room and everybody that was in the studio, and my grandparents as well listening to the show. Um, take care, and we'll see you Wednesday night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.